teams sit right on the baseline. The big fella from New Zealand. When we cut him off baseline, he started walking in there. Welcome on into the Baseline Podcast. We have another very special guest today um, joining us from the United States, uh, Naismith Basketball Hall of Famer and media legend, Peter Vexy. Peter, how are you going today? I'm okay now, now that, now that we got it together. <laughs> <laughs> are we allowed to curse on here? Yeah, you can You can, def- you can right. definitely curse on here. <laughs> All right. Well, now that we got our shit together, I'm ready to go. <laughs> <laughs> thank you um thank you so much for for, for jumping on and um first of all can you tell the listeners uh who you are and a bit about yourself who am i wow well i'm 78 years old you look good <laughs> i've been retired since 2012 uh worked worked at the new york daily news uh in high school and then got a full-time job uh, without going to college for more than six months. And uh, I was a statistician in the sports department of the New York Daily News. Worked there 14 years, time out for two years in the Army. I was drafted in uh, 65 to 67. I'm, I'm very proud to say I was airborne in a Green Beret. And, and, uh, and then I got my job back. And, uh, and then I left the Daily News in uh, 77 and uh, joined the New York Post. And uh, when Murdoch, when Murdoch bought the paper, he hired a friend of mine from the Daily News who worked for him uh, on his, uh, what's the uh, Inquirer type of magazine that he had in the United States. I also worked there under an alias, but So when he when he bought the paper, he hired my friend as the executive sports editor of the Post. Yeah. And I was his first hire in 77. I think he bought it in 76, maybe. But I was his first hire in the sports department. And my friend gave me gave me a column to do the NBA. And I was doing the NBA at the Daily News covering the Knicks and the Nets. But now he gave me a column to do the NBA. I was the first columnist to exclusively deal with one sport wow uh in the the country yeah except possibly for peter gammons who worked for the boston globe he did baseball he might have been a couple months ahead of me but i'm not sure we were right around the same time and uh and then from there from there i worked at at the new york post covering the nba from 77 to about 90 90 Murdoch was forced to sell the post because of legislation that Ted Kennedy introduced that you weren't allowed to have a, um, uh, a newspaper and a TV station in the same area. So he, he had Channel 5, still has it, Fox. And um, so he was forced to sell. So I went to USA Today for three years. Murdoch bought the paper back. I came back. And then was there until 2012, covering exclusively the NBA. Wow, wow, that's that's some that's some long service at um at one business. I I love I love to hear that. For the first question that that I think comes to mind for me when I think about your your long career is 
what have been what were the biggest changes in your lifetime in your career covering the NBA just as an overall the on court off the court what were the what were the biggest changes that changed the NBA landscape in your eyes well I mean they were constantly changing the rules uh, they had changed them previously before I got there you know to to uh, contain so to speak will Chamberlain they made the, the lane wider they did that with George Mike and too um, you know in college they did it to Kareem they wouldn't allow dunking <laughs> you know whatever but but you know when I was there um, I, I guess the biggest the biggest thing in the beginning was um, you know I covered the ABA for about five years from its inception in 67 until I left to go to the uh, to the post. I also did the Knicks. But, um, you know, once there was a merger, a consolidation of four teams from the ABA coming into the NBA, they brought the three-point shot with them. Yes. And that, not initially, not even, not even in the first 20 years did it make an impact. Yeah. And then, you know, it was basically just kind of a, uh, a gimmick teams use it as a gimmick you know you try to get back in a game you were down you start throwing up three pointers they used it in the ABA but they didn't use it you know not nearly to that extent so once once the NBA players coaches started utilizing it you know to a to a uh, you know an exuberant or an exorbitant an exorbitant uh, style yeah. That that just changed the league drastically to a point where I must say I don't like it at all. Mm. Um, I just think it's uh, I, I just I just don't like watching players play the way I used to play. <laughs> and, and I used I used to shoot a lot of threes. But I tell you what. <laughs> But I but I understand why nobody wanted to play with me. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. <laughs> because because I hate watching those guys play. And you know, I just can't think that, you know, okay, Steph Curry, you can understand greatest shooter I've ever seen in my life. Yeah. You know, guys like that, Clay Thompson, greatest shooter. But but they give up the ball or they only get the ball to do something immediately. Like Clay doesn't even need any bounces. I think yes. I think one one game, I don't know, he had 61 points, and I think he dribbled four times, and I, some ridiculous thing like that. And uh, But, you know, you watch James Harden play and a lot of other players, you know, Lillard. I can't stand the way they play because they dominate the ball. They Their teammates, you know, they just kind of, uh, if they move, fine. A lot of them just stand around and watch. And uh, so if you're moving, you know, you might get the ball as an afterthought. But uh, anyway, so that that's that's a huge thing, and then the changing of the rules. Yeah, that that was a big thing. You know, now you're allowed to palm the ball. You know, you're allowed to have a euro step, which is a walk. You know, I mean, you know, things like you know, early on, I go back, you know, further back, uh, they they introduced the uh, salary cap in yeah. about eighty eighty four, which uh, was used to try to. Uh, to try to limit the, uh, the, the the teams like New York uh, with a lot of money that could buy a team. And, you know, initially it worked to some degree, but now it doesn't work at all. You know, they found, they found loopholes and they, whatever, they can get out of that. But that was a, that was a big change in the league in 84. Um, another one was testing for drugs. 
Yeah. You know, when the, the NBA Players Association understood, the union understood that it had to do something to, uh, to, to show its fans and the media that uh, not everybody was doing drugs. So they agreed to drug testing. And, you know, in the 70s, in the 70s, I swear, there, there were very few guys that I knew that were doing drugs. Yeah. And uh, so that was that was humongous. That, that was really because it changed the perception of people. Yes. And, and, it, and it changed it for real too. the reality of it. You know, you were drug tested. And over the years, they've caught a number of players and you know, a number of them been kicked out for a lifetime or for a year, two years, months, whatever. So, I mean, those are the things uh, offhand, you know, yeah. big, big things since I've been covering. Yeah. So, so you, had, you had the chance to vote on the 50 greatest players of all time on the 50th anniversary of the league in 1997. And now you have the chance to vote on the top 75 on the 75th anniversary. Can you talk a little bit about the process in 1997 and then you personally how you and your mind compiled a 50, for example, the 50 that you thought were the greatest. Right. Well, let's start with the 50, okay? The 50, the 50 to me were not that difficult, even though I did make a, a couple mistakes. Um, the 50 were the 50. I mean, they just weren't, they weren't uh, there might have been three, four, five guys that you could have put into the top 50 if, you, you didn't put in the, the guys who were in the 50s and the 60s, you know, guys like Paul Arison, Bill Sharman, Hal Greer, guys that, players that a lot of people today never even heard of. But it, it, even then, even then, they, they just weren't big names anymore. But I was older yeah. and they had a lot of older journalists voting and that's why they did make the top 50, all the ones I, I named. Yeah. Um, those guys made it. And uh, the mistakes I the, the biggest mistake I made was I, I put Penny Hardaway on my top 50 because his first few years in the NBA were just phenomenal. But I I uh, I probably shouldn't have put in a guy who was only playing that that short a time. But yeah. I was just so blown away by him. Yes. I also put on Shaq. Yeah. So Shaq made it again. I think he was only in his fourth year. I just finished his fourth year. And uh, so he made it. But people were on me for that. They, they, they wanted to know, you know, how can you put Shaq on? I said, the guy, I've seen everything I have to see. I mean, the guys, how can he not be a top 50 player? I mean, he's playing. Yeah. But Hardaway had the injuries. And, and so he didn't make the, 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 the player that, Everybody put on, not me, but everyone put on, but he did not deserve to be on was Bill Walton. Mm. Bill yeah. Walton, top 50, he only had two and a half seasons of really playing as, you know, without injury. Yeah. When they won the championship in 77, they came back the next year. They were 50 and 10. He got injured. And that was the end, basically the end of uh, his, that was the end, basically, in, in Portland. Yeah. He goes to San Diego. He's injured. He's injured. He's injured. He never plays full season, not even close. Then he talks his way, talks Red Arback into bringing him into uh, Boston. And he has one really great year in 86. He was the backup. He, he it was the sixth man award. He played 80 or 82 games. I think 80 of the, of the 82. 
and he won sixth man of the year. And so, but that doesn't put him in the top 50. Now, if he was healthy, yeah. obviously college doesn't count. This is not, you know, it's only NBA. They yeah. put him on, they put him on again. Everybody should be fired. You know, they just, it's just ridiculous. I did not put him on my top 75. No. So let me take a swig of water. <laughs> and i'll try to tell you about the top 75 but stevie i can't really discuss too much about who i put on because they ask us not to yeah yeah until it's announced yeah. um i will say that it was totally different than the top 50 it was very 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 difficult yeah and very uh Oh, man, uh, I, I, I struggled. I struggled with many, many picks. Now, of course, you know, you've got the obvious. You've got, I don't know, I didn't look it up. You probably have 35 who are obvious. You can't, you can't leave them out. Yeah. yeah. Um, but I wound up leaving out some people. Um, and I, and I'll, I, I don't mind sharing one with you, at least for now. Um, I did not put Harden on my top 50. Because it's my top 50 and I can't stand watching him play. That's fair. <laughs> so I understand he's led the league in scoring a number of times, but, you know, very tough. To, I, I've talked to guys who played with him. They can't stand playing with him. I, I don't know what's going on with the Nets. I'm retired now, but in Houston, very, very difficult. So I took that into account with him. Now I, I, I took off, a number of guys that were on that top 50. And my rationale was, is that they deserve to be on the top 50 because that was their era. Yeah. And they, and they, and they deserved it. And, and it, it's not a slight that I'm leaving them off, but I did leave off a couple guys who won MVPs in the league, in, in the, in the league. Yeah. Um, because I just felt that, Back then, especially in the 50s and 60s, you only had eight teams. Yeah. So it was much easier to make the all-star team, much easier to pile up statistics. Um, and so I took off I took off a number of guys like that. Yeah. Um, I'm trying to think of some other what else I can add to that. It, it was hard. Each one, each one. I mean, I'm not a statistic guy, Yeah. but there were times that I had to go look it up to say, wait a minute, does this guy really deserve, I'm going to give you for instance. Okay. Yeah. And I might not have the statistics exactly right, but again, I'll give you another one that I left off. I left off Wes Unsell. Wes Unsell, obvious, you know, one rookie of the year was MVP in the same year. I mean, I, I maybe, maybe one other player has done that. Yeah. And he won the MVP in the uh, when the Bullets won the championship in 78. My vote actually gave him that. It was a 3-2 vote, and I voted for him instead of Elvin Hayes. <laughs> and I know that because it was done vocally. We did it right next to each other. So yeah. um, I left him off. You look at his statistics, no statistics. I mean, it's like, you know, 10, 10 rebounds, 10 yeah. points, something like that, nothing. Yeah. And um, a great, great off, great uh, outlet passer. And, and uh, yeah, look it up. Look, look up, yeah. look up what yeah. Wes Unsell uh, yeah. averaged in his career. So I, I had no problem leaving him off. And um, 
because there are so many, so many great players that, that have come into the league since 97. Yes. Um, and I couldn't leave a lot of those guys off. Yeah. Yeah. Agreed. Yes. Yeah. So I've just looked up with Unsold and he averaged 10, 14 rebounds per game, um, but only 10.8 points. And so four, and, he averaged 14 rebounds? 14 rebounds. I mean, that's that's very impressive. I mean, I know that the, yeah, the era is. was different. The era was different. But 10.8 points is that's that's Ben Wallace type of levels of production, which doesn't mean you're a bad player. It just means in my eyes that you're in that next tier, which just means you're maybe between 50 right. and 150. Right. This this yeah. is this is not a snub at all. Yeah. He, no. he made the top 50. God bless him. Yeah. He'll probably make the top 75 because I don't think anybody's going to take my approach. Yeah. But but, um, you know, I, I compared him to guys that again, guys, did I put them on or not put them on? But I compared them to I compared him to Jack Sigma. Yeah. He's in the Hall of Fame. I compared him to Robert Parrish. He's in the Hall of Fame. Yeah. Um, you know, was was Unsell better than Sigma? I mean, Sigma's career was sick. He, I mean, he, he really, he really had a hell of a career yeah, and, uh, and a much longer career. Yeah. And, uh, and also he's got the Jack Sigma shot, which, you know, everybody copies, but, <laughs> but, <laughs> but anyway, so I, I was comparing, yeah. I did a lot of, a lot of comparisons and yes. tried not to do it statistically, tried to do it within the era that they played in and, and how many teams were in the league at that time, you yeah. know, like today, if you don't make the all-star team, but even, even back then, say Rod Strickland, who had a great, great career, one of my favorite players, you know, very high in the assist total uh, career. Yeah. He never made an all-star team. Yes. Wow. Never. That's pretty amazing. It is amazing. Um, but, but, you know, guys, guys in this era that, that didn't make the all-star team also because you only, they've never changed it. You know, it's still only 12 players make the all-star team on each side when there were 30 teams. There were 12 <laughs> players making it back in the 60, you know, like yeah. maybe only 10, but I think 12. Yes. So I've, I've been, you know, saying for years, like at least raise it up to 15 or so, you know, like the yeah. game doesn't mean anything anyway. It's, it's the, it's the distinction of making the hall of fame. Yes. Who cares if you only play five minutes in the all-star game? I don't think many of those guys care. But you, now you made the all-star team. And I think they should. It's like there are now 15-man rosters. Back in the day, there were 10-man rosters. Yeah. So, you know, a lot, a lot, of, a lot of differences. So I had a lot of trouble with it. Yeah. But yeah, that's ho- hopefully, hopefully nobody will see everything that I, I voted for and I won't, nobody will yell at me. <laughs> <laughs> it's good. <laughs> um, so when you, when you look at the way that the, the, the league has changed around how it's been covered with the social media age, it means that the current NBA discourse, recency bias, in my eyes, um, things are completely different because of the way that players are perceived. How is that? How is the way the league is covered now? How has that changed how the league is perceived, how players are perceived? How has social media changed the actual narrative of the league and the NBA. So you're asking somebody who retired in 2012. <laughs> you realize you realize that, right? You got out just before it all changed. <laughs> yeah, no, it, it was changing, and I remember uh, some uh, several people had stolen my name for Twitter and were acting like they were me, 
And my sports editor asked me about it. And I said, I, you know, I'm not on Twitter. I'll never be on Twitter. I don't, you know, what is this crap? <laughs> and and uh, before I left, that was probably in 2011. And in 2012, or, uh, I think uh, maybe 10. I joined, I think, in 2011, right before I retired. And I enjoy it, I must say. Yeah. But so the, so the league, the league has changed in the way it's covered um, in, ma- in many ways. Um, they it started to change even when I was there for a few years. The Knicks, the Knicks uh, underline them because they made it very, very difficult for writers to be around the players without somebody on on their on the uh, in management or in publicity not standing next to you with a microphone and taping the conversation yeah that that was just that that was if they meant to get rid of me by doing that they did it yeah. because then i said there's no reason for me to go to a game i'm not covering the games the only reason i would go is to try to get a player alone talk to him about what i wanted him to talk about Hopefully he talked, he was willing to do that. They knew my agenda. And so they would follow me around and they did it to other people. Then they did it to everybody that, you know, you just couldn't, you couldn't get people alone. Uh, it was very tough to get them on the phone. When Larry Brown became the Knicks coach. Now I've known him or I've known of him i saw him yeah so so larry brown is the coach of the knicks and i asked to interview him before the season starts down in charleston their training camp and and isaiah thomas who worked with me at nbc um and i covered his whole career as a player and a coach and meant you know party together early and often he says i have to be part of the interview i said no I said, that's, that's not happening. I mean, why, why would you have to be part of the interview? I've known the guy forever. I know you forever. What's the problem? Yeah. They said no. So whether it was from orders up above from James Dolan, the owner, or it was, or it was uh, Isaiah, I, I said, no, I'm not doing it. No, no interview then. And he winds up getting fired at the end, you know, before the first year's even out. Yeah. And, um, so those kind of things, those kind of things were huge turnoffs to me. Yeah. And uh, so and then I hear the complaints from people who are still still uh, covering the league. One guy was telling me that, you know, he, he, he lived in one city, but he covered he covered the league or he covered the Knicks from another. You know, he covered the Knicks, even though he lived in another city. And I said, well, how do you get away with that? He said, well, I, I, I can't go to the games just like I was telling you. I can't go to the games and get anything. I can't meet with these guys. Yeah. You know, I have to go through their agent to get them to give me stuff so I can do that from where I live. Yeah. And he said, or, you know, he said, most of most, you've got to go through the agents. Now we always went through agents to get information and uh, you know, we went through everybody, but certainly the agents, but now he said the agents kind of rule everything. Yeah. They dominate, they dominate the media. They dominate the teams. Yeah. Uh, the players have all the power, you know, to, to play where they want, when they want. Yeah. So, um, you know, I, I came back to write a couple times. I came back to write in 2019 for Patreon. I decided I got talked into it to come back and write a column several several times a week 
for no money, basically, and never did make any money. And uh, but I always maintain that just because you have social media, Twitter, you know, everybody's trying to be first by a minute. They want to be by seconds. They want to say that I had it first. Right. Yeah. And, and they said, you can't do what you used to do when you covered the NBA, where I broke, you know, I, I broke hundreds of stories and many of them really big. Yeah. They said, you can't do it. anymore. you can't do it. I said, bullshit. I said, I can do it. <laughs> no, I said, I said, hide and watch. Yeah. Hide and watch. Yeah. I said, I'll get it out there before they even know about it. Before they can deny it, it's already a day late. Yeah. And I did that with a couple stories that I can name you offhand. One was uh, when the Lakers um, tampered with Paul George. Ah, very that was well. my story. I found out that they had tampered with him, that the Pacers had complained to the league, protested to the league. The league was investigating. I had all that. Yeah. And uh, I remember going on an L.A. station and Nick, they're, they're accusing me of making it up because I hate Magic Johnson, who was the president at the time. You know, you hate him. That's why I said, I made it up. Really? Well, again, hide and watch. They wound up getting fined $500,000. They should have. They should have fined them a draft pick without yeah. a doubt. And $500,000. Yeah. They only fined them five hundred. So then later on, I think it was at the end of that year, basically the beginning of the second year uh, that I was writing in September, I guaranteed quote unquote that LeBron James would be with the Lakers the following year. Well, nobody touched that one. <laughs> nobody disagreed with it. Nobody, you know, they, what are you nuts? <laughs> you know, you're saying, you know, the Bessie's full of shit, <laughs> but they didn't, but they wouldn't write it because they didn't, they didn't know. Yeah. They didn't know. So I, I went out on a limb. I guaranteed it. Yeah. And as we know, he, he went to the Lakers and I knew, you know, you, you don't always know you, you, you think, you know, everything, but you know, I've been lied to. Yeah. I've been lied to and I've been sued because yeah. I've been lied to, Yeah, but I believe this one and uh, I went with it. And so um, I knew I had it because LeBron James, whenever somebody said something about him or his family or whatever, and he he felt it was totally untrue, he would say it. Yeah. He didn't say anything. Yeah, he didn't say anything. It was a giveaway. He didn't, he didn't say a word. So, <laughs> so when he didn't say a word after a couple of days, I said, ah, <laughs> I got you. Score one, score one for me. Yeah. So. Anyway, I still think that's possible. Yeah. You know, if you, if you have a source that you can trust. Yes. And I mean, really trust then. Um, and he's willing to give you stuff that's, you know, he shouldn't be giving you really. Yeah. Um, you can still do it. And I, I still believe I can do that. Yeah. If I want, if I, if I want it to work. <laughs> if, you, if you decided you can be bothered with social media. <laughs> no, if, no. If I, the hell with social media. If I want, if I had a platform to write, yeah, there are a couple, couple um, newspaper and, a, and and another. They, they've come after me, but I don't really, I don't really know if I really want to put in that time anymore. You yeah, know? yeah, the time commitment is pretty significant. Yeah, you know, yeah. I'm running out of time, so yeah. I get it. Why so, give it to them? 
Yeah, I, I get it. So you were um, awarded the the Kirk Gowdy um, Media Award by the the Naismith Basketball Hall of Fame in 2009. What was it like to be honoured alongside some of the game's greatest print and TV names? If you read out, I mean, the names are just amazing that are on the list of people that have had those media awards. Well, I went in, I went in the same year that Jordan went in and um, Jordan Stockton, David Robinson, Jerry Sloan, um, Doug Collins went in media. I went in media. Uh, but I, you know, I, I can't, I can't bullshit. It's too late to bullshit you because I've said this so many times. Um, I, I didn't think much of the award. I think less of it now. Yeah. I, I, I came that close to, you can't see me, right? I, I came real close to turning it down when I was told about it. Yeah. And I uh, felt it was, you know, it was vindictive that they waited at least 10 years to put in people who, you know, couldn't never broke a story in their lives or, you know, were, or just never did what I did even close. So they, you know, they were angry because I was, I was a tough writer, but I just felt that uh, the only reason I accepted it was that I felt that if I got on those committees that I mocked all the time and continue to mock um, that I, my voice would be heard in a room with people who are voting. And that did happen twice. I, I was invited into the room. I, uh, in my speech, uh, my Hall of Fame speech, which was, you know, killed by everybody except the people who I was touting for the Hall of Fame. They they love my speech. Yes. All the people that I I told I, I, I scolded the the Hall of Fame for not being in the Hall of Fame. They're in the Hall of Fame today. Uh-huh. Dennis Johnson, Jamal yeah. Wilk, Artis Gilmore. Yeah. And, and others, there were like five or six of them. And they all, you know, they all reached out, you know, thank me for that. But so I was in the room yeah. voting, voting and, and able to plead a case for somebody. And I'll give you a perfect example is uh, Dennis Rodman. Yes. So Rodman was got a uh, was totally shot down. His, he was nominated, but you have not you had nine people in a room and they're all killing him including Jerry Colangelo, who's the head of the Hall of Fame. He was killing them. They all had, they all had negative things to say, except me. And I, and I started, what are you talking about? Like, look what he's done. Forget about, forget about the negative stuff that he's done off the court, even on the court, you know, stuff that he's done on the court. How many times has he led the league in rebounding? How many times was he all defensive first team? Yeah. How many championships did he win for, for set, you know, for two different teams for the Pistons and the Bulls? So by the end of my spiel, it was voted nine nothing to to put him to the next level, in which at that time, I'm not sure what it is now, there were 24 people voting. Nine of them were us in the room. I don't know who the others were. And so he got in. Yeah. Yeah. And so that, you know, that that's a perfect example of. So if I'm not in that room. Yeah. You know, I know Colangelo was very worried about, you know, was he going to wear a dress to the Hall of Fame? You know, what was he going <laughs> to do? Yeah. He said that. What was he going to yeah. do to embarrass us? Was he going to be drunk? Was he, you know, yeah. uh, was he going to hit a photographer? <laughs> you know, yeah. So. You know, he had a meeting with him. I'm not sure if it was before the 24-man vote or after it, yeah. but Rodman promised to behave, and he did. 
Yeah. So he got in and he absolutely worthy to get in. Uh, and I will say he is in my top 75. Yeah, that's excellent. And I love, I love your answer to that because I feel that sometimes um, awards or accomplishments, maybe you're given, someone's given a lifetime achievement award. Maybe they, they've given it because they've been a mouthpiece for an organization rather than actually being the person that's that's doing the right thing for the game. So I love that you stood up what you for what you believed in. Um, right. And that you were act and that you basically were like, okay, I'm gonna put this aside and realize that I can actually help um get some change and get the people in that should have been there in the first place. Yeah. Uh Colangelo <laughs> didn't like the fact that I spoke up at the meeting. He he, you know, and that's so why I was never invited back after the second one. Yeah. And uh although I was made in charge that he started a, an ABA committee in which we were going to finally honor a lot of the guys in the ABA that uh, were not in the hall of fame. And uh, we did that. We did that with uh, Mel Daniels and Roger Brown and slick Leonard and George McGinnis. No, I think George McGinnis came in later, uh, Louis Dampier. And then Jerry Colangelo decided to, uh, to, to knock the committee aside. We had seven men on the committee. Um, all ABA guys, you know, Hubie Brown was on it. He coached the 75 Colonels to a championship. Uh, Gervin was on it. Thompson, um, Bob Costas, who covered covered this, who, who was the announcer for the Spirits of St. Louis. We had all ABA guys on there. Yeah. But he, he killed the committee, said there weren't any other guys in the, in the ABA that deserved it. And I've hardly talked to him since. You know, it's just, that's bullshit. Yeah. You know, he wound up putting in guys from the ABA like George McGinnis. He was starting the ABA. Charlie Scott started the ABA. I mean, what what were you talking about? And there are still others that deserve it. Not only players, but management. Yeah. You know, Mike Storen, big executive with Indiana and Kentucky, who whose whose daughter is Anna Storm, uh, who was the ABA commissioner Storen. He deserves to be in it. Carl Shear, who did Denver and you know Carolina, he did you know so a lot of a lot of players. Jimmy jo James Jones belongs in it. Willie Wise belongs in it. Cal Matt Calvin deserves in it. So I mean it's it's disheartening, but you know and and uh, I still call Colangelo an NBA snob. You know deep down that's what he is. So we don't we don't talk. Yeah, <laughs> it's a great that's a great breakdown though. I I think the um. When you look at awards discourse, be it Hall of Fame, All-Star, All-NBA, whatever it is, I feel that there's there's always going to be some snubs based on personalities or the discourse or or narrative. And it's not always, and that maybe this is what makes the awards fascinating and why people love them, because people miss out. But the awards are never who is the, it's never just who is the best player, right? That, and has it always well, been like that though? You can't say never because how many times did, you know, Kareem win the MVP and Jordan, Jordan, Jordan yes, you know. Yeah. I mean, those guys. But how come Kobe only won it once? And yeah. uh, how come Shaq only won it once? And yes. Everything you said is true. You know, I, I think that, I think the, the league would be, better served the game the game would be better served the hall of fame would be better served if players were the players and coaches were the only ones who voted you know yeah that's it forget yeah. the media because yeah. the media and what 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 do we really know i mean i'm 
I'm probably the oldest guy that's going to be voting from the media on the top 75. I can't think of any. Bob Bryan, I think he's younger than me. Um, he'll be on it for sure. Sam Smith, you know, who wrote the Jordan Rules, but he's he's younger. You know, so I, you know, how many media people were around to see they can evaluate the 50s, the 60s, the 70s, you know, and yeah. and, and you're right. You know, some guys, some guys that uh, might get not might not get a vote from the media because uh, they stiffed them in, in a uh, in an interview. <laughs> yeah. Hey, Isaiah Thomas didn't make the uh, d- didn't make the dream team because of uh, his is the animosity toward him. Yeah. By by a number of players, not that the players had a vote at that time. They did not have a vote, which is contrary to what so many people think and write and say. Yeah, they didn't have a vote. They had no influence whatsoever. It was a committee. They had a, but the committee was comprised of, you know, guys like Rod Fawn and uh, and Donnie Walsh and you know guys in the know. Chuck yeah. Daly was the coach. But anyway, so yeah. Yeah, bit of a tangent, but yeah, no, that's good. In in your mind, what has been the greatest era of the NBA? I, I, you know, I've never really thought about it. I, I gotta believe the eighties. Um, you know, with Magic, Bird, Jordan, Kareem still there, Isaiah. Yeah, pretty tough. Now, certainly with you know when when the leagues, you know, LeBron. I mean, this this era has been unbelievable, you know. But even when LeBron, Kobe, you know, Wade, that that era was, you know, a bitch. And this era is a bitch, you know. With you know LeBron still being able to do it, and um, you know Curry, who I love, you know Clay Thompson. Um, I'll give you another nugget. I put him on my top seventy-five. Clay oh, Thompson, very nice. I love, I love Clay Thompson. His game is amazing. Yes. Yeah. And and another factor, by the way, is what I factored in was both ends. You got to play both ends. Yeah. Clay plays both ends. Harden doesn't play both ends. He hardly plays one end. He doesn't play. (laughs) He only plays by himself. (laughs) I had a line once about that when he when he gets sick and he has to go to a nursing home, he's going to be in this unassisted living. That's where he's going. (laughs) It's so good. (laughs) <laughs> maybe maybe you shouldn't stop writing after all. <laughs> well, that's an old line. That's an old line. <laughs> My friends liked it. <laughs> I, I I like that. We'll leave that one in. Um, before we close this one out, what what's the next game changer in your eyes in terms of the way the sport's covered? So we're going to see a new NBA TV deal within the next couple of years, which may change league pass. It may change the way that that stations cover and and I don't know what that means with YouTube and social media but within the next few years I feel like there will be a big game changer in terms of the significant amount of money that the NBA receives in its TV deal which is obviously passed on to the teams and the players what's yeah. the next, what's the next game changer in media and where will media be in 10 to 20 years boy I don't, I'm not I'm not sure um I don't know. I don't know. I, I agree with you that, you know, when the next next contract comes up and when the next collective bargaining agreement comes up, yeah. they just they just, uh, you know, extended it. They had an extension that just had a, 
agreed, not agreed to it. They just had to do it. And I think it's like three more years now. I mean, that that's going to be an incredible time because all these guys got humongously rich because of that TV. At the same time, the owners got even richer because the franchise just exploded. Invaded. You know, yeah. thank, thank uh, Donald Sterling because... When the, the league forced him to sell, he got over two point, I think it was two point one billion dollars. And bingo, the whole not only the NBA, all the franchises became billion dollar franchises, but all sports became billion dollar franchises. Yes. So, I, I don't know if we can trace it all to Sterling, but I believe you can off the top of my head. I think that's where it started. So I don't know, you know. I once I once wrote that. Uh, uh, let's see. Jerry Buss once once signed or signed Magic Johnson to a twenty five year, twenty five million dollar contract, right. one million a year. Yeah. And I, you know, who can't tell the future, obviously, I was all over Buss for that. How you know that's ridiculous. How can you give somebody you know blah 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 blah. Yeah. Well, the league killed that kind of thing. They had they reduced the ha- how many years you could, yeah. you know, well, give spread out a contract. Yeah, but it was a it would have been a bargain. <laughs> it was a bargain been, contract. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, getting magic for twenty five years, you know, um, or getting anybody spreading it out like that. So, but yeah. these guys today, I mean, uh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Kareem, Kareem had a great thing to uh, to say in in a, in a column I he that he wrote. No, he was interviewed by um, uh, Mark Stein, who used to be with the Times, but he's not with the Times anymore. Yeah. Well, he, he you ought to look him up. Your, your listeners ought to look him up because he's got a. It's like a. I work for Patreon. He's got another thing going for him. You look up Mark Stein. Yeah. Oh, what did you say? I think it's called Substack. So it's like his own. Yeah, there you go. So, yeah. so yeah. exactly. I just I just uh, joined for a year. I just sent in my money. Yeah. So he did. He did an interview with Kareem. Yeah. I read today. It was it was terrific. And Kareem had a lot of insights that you know we just don't think about. But he he said that you know like the question I believe was you know you feel badly that you know they're making so much money they have so much power and all that stuff. And he, he broke it down. He said, you know, every generation is going to feel that way. Yes. You know, we all, we all, you know, that's the way it is. And yeah. he said when, you know, in, in 15 years or so, Steph, Steph Curry and LeBron are going to feel the same way, that they wish that they were born. <laughs> yes. the, you know, it was, it was really interesting insight that he had, uh, yeah. perception. Yeah. That's good. I'm I'm gonna put you on the spot with that with the last question. In your in your eyes, who is the greatest uh, basketball player of all time? Yeah, I change everybody I interview. Uh, everyone who interview, interviews me, I change. <laughs> not not really, but I, I have written over the years. I thought Kareem was yes. I thought I thought Wilt. I mean, people just overlook him. You know, it's it's ridiculous. Yeah. Um, if it's not if it's not those two, it's Jordan. Uh, I I will say you know LeBron is right there, coming on strong right there. But even if he breaks, even when he only needs he only needs to average eighteen point six in the last two years. 
to uh, go ahead of Kareem. But um, I will say my favorite player is Bird. Yeah. You know, Julius Irving, an- another one of my favorites. Um, and, and, you know, Magic is tremendous. You know, what can you say? Oscar, yeah. Jerry West. So, yeah. so many, so many. But I'll stick with what I just told you. If it's not those two centers, uh, Kareem, again, six, six MVPs, you know. Well, how many times? Five or six titles, uh, yeah. two different teams, you know, leading, leading, re- you know, uh, score in history. Tough to beat him. And then, and then if you go back to college where he just dominated for three years at UCLA, I mean, now, now, yeah. you know, try to match that, you know. Amazing resume. Yeah. Yeah. 100%. Peter, thank you so much for, for taking time out of your day to impart parts of your amazing career and, and giving some insight into, yeah, just how the NBA is changing and, and um, the hall of fame. And there's so many fascinating parts and I really look forward to the, the top 75. Um, I'll look forward to, to not seeing Harden on there, but then also seeing these other, your other selections. And yeah, I, I really appreciate who you are and the part that you've played in, in making the NBA what it is today. Yeah, thanks. Thanks a lot, Steve. Good interview. I enjoyed it. Thank you very much. Have a great day. Yeah, you too. Bye. Bye.